Hello and welcome to ASTCT Talks, the official podcast of the American Society for Transplantation and Cellular Therapy. We chat with industry leaders from all areas of the blood and marrow transplantation and cellular therapy field, including doctors, physician assistants, pharmacists, nurses, administrators, social workers, and more. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of ASTCT Talks. Today's episode features a recently recorded conversation with Dr. John DiPersio, a bone marrow transplant specialist and medical oncologist at the Siteman Cancer Center at the Washington University School of Medicine and a past president of ASTCT. We discuss emerging therapies to treat AML, advancements in immunotherapies, and much more. We hope you enjoy. So I guess what I can say is that still AML remains a very difficult disease to target immunologically because of this notion of a large sink of antigen and non-AML cells, number one. Number two is that the targets are often expressed on monocytes and granulocytes, so there's a lot of cytokine release. And the third is that there may be just an inherently more immune-suppressive setting with AML than with lymphoid malignancies. Yeah. Well, there may probably many other issues as well, but those are some of them. And, you know, bispecifics obviously work reasonably well in B-cell acute lymphoblastic leukemia. And most recently, I think the bispecific data in multiple myeloma is very encouraging as well. So for those targeting BCMA with bispecifics looks very good. Targeting CD19 with bispecifics looks good. Targeting CD20 with bispecifics looks pretty good. There's even a CS1 bispecific that's moving forward towards the clinic in myeloma. We'll see how that looks. But so far, these B-cell malignancies, the CARs and bispecifics looks really good. And for AML, the bispecifics and CAR Ts look, I would say, there's a lot to be desired. Yeah. Lots of poor response rates, short durations of response, CRS. And so some people think that maybe using other effector cells for CARs, at least, you know, INKTs or NK cells might be better. I think the issue still relates to the target. And I would say that people are targeting the same antigens in AML, CLL1, CD123, CD33. Those are the big ones. CD123 is, you know, probably the furthest along. And there is evidence to suggest in some three or four recent papers that we've published with our colleagues that it works in primary refractory AML modestly, you know, with response rates in the 30% range, which is not bad, but certainly could be better. Uh, there's a fair amount of CRS, but it's controllable. The antibody to CD123, the bispecific antibody to CD123 is similar. And the bispecific antibody to CD123 also has significant activity in the, uh, these uh, plasma blastic dendritic cell neoplasms. So, but for AML, it's still been difficult. So people are, uh, you know, obviously interested in number one, identifying new targets. That's tough. And so number two, 
targeting two antigens at the same time to improve specificity. Mm-hmm. But that's been a technical barrier. You know, just can't figure out how to do that. Number three is to reduce CRS. And number four is to enhance killing once you do target these cells. And there's been modest success along those lines. So uh, AML, you know, and so bispecifics, for instance, we're going to be testing bispecifics post-transplant in patients that relapse post-transplant. So that's a study that will open here soon, looking at a DART, dual affinity retargeting agent to CD123, and seeing if that can directly kill AML cells post-transplant, and also to see if that will also re-induce the expression of some of these immune-specific genes that are lost during relapse that make them the cells invisible, sort of class two, things like that. And so that's one thing people are interested in using. Again, alternative effector cells like NK cells. There are some antibodies out there and some targets in AML that are still potentially interesting. CD70 is one of them. And so that's another potential target that people are going after with antibodies and some cars as well. C-Kit is something we're going after. Um, but uh, the, the, it's tough stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what was the thinking when you guys were looking at the research to say, hey, maybe we should be trying these darts and bites after transplant versus before? Yeah, so after transplant, about 30 to 40% of patients that relapse after an transplant will have decreased or loss of class two HLA antigens. Mm-hmm. Though the cells therefore become, AML cells in theory would become immunologically invisible to the donor T cells. So in order to re-express class two in these cells that lose it, the AML cells that lose it, we found that there was one cytokine and only one that does it, and that's gamma interferon. So one approach would be to give gamma interferon to patients right. to see if you could re-express class two and then have those AML cells be then recognized by donor T cells. So gamma interferon is not really widely available. And number two, it's, it's used only for one selected group of patients. These are chronic granulomatous disease patients, and it's a small company. And, and number three, it's a toxic inflammatory cytokine. So nobody really envisions that this will be well-tolerated or feasible. So we thought about a different, and also you're giving it systemically. We thought about a different approach, and that would be to actually bring it directly to the AML cells that have lost class two by using a DART. So by using a bispecific, we engage a T cell and direct it to an AML blast that's CD123 positive. So we directly kill those cells by the DART, provided we have enough competent T cells. And when those T cells get activated, they release gamma interferon locally. So they would also upregulate class two, not only in the cells that they're directly engaging, but on innocent bystander AML cells so that the systemic immune response would be more effective. So that's the theory. We don't, we don't know if it's going to work or not. And um, we proved it and we presented this at AACR and uh, recently at ASH, mm. um, gave a, one of the scientific sessions there and at AACR and showed that 
This was a very effective way of reinducing class two in these cells that lose class two expression. Very potent, in fact. And that those cells are now recognized by donor CD4 cells where they weren't before. So that's good. And that the DART directly kills the targets. And so the trial is to give the DART to patients who relapse after allotransplant to see if it induces responses. And if it doesn't, after a single cycle, we give a donor lymphocyte infusion so that we infuse fresh T cells that are not exhausted and then give the DART again to see if that makes a difference. That's really interesting. It's how did, like, when you guys were looking at this hypothesis and thinking this is what we think can happen, what were some of the big indicators that you thought why this would work? Um, well, you know, giving the, there was just some very common sense issues, you know, giving gamma interferon systemically is going to cause lots of inflammatory changes in someone that already may have graft versus host disease and is sick already and would be probably very tough for an allotransplant patient to tolerate, period. So that didn't seem good. Number two is that there's no available gamma to give to patients except for that one indication in chronic granulomatous disease. And so there are some companies making longer acting gamma interferon molecules, and there is somebody trying to do this, but we thought a better and more rational approach would it actually be to bring the coals to Newcastle in a sense, instead of just dumping the coals everywhere, actually putting them right where the leukemia is and bring the T cells right to the leukemia cell. So number one is we kill the leukemia cell in an immune, in an MHC or HLA independent fashion by just targeting CD123. So even though they've lost class two, they'll still be killed by the DART if the T cells are competent. And then the second advantage is that, you know, once those T cells are activated locally, they're gonna release a lot of gamma interferon and upregulate class two, which we showed. And this is, the stuff is, just about ready to be submitted for publication. And, and it not only upregulated class two in the direct cells that were being targeted, but when we used um, diffusion chamber experiments where we did the targeting in the upper chamber, we could show that the gamma interferon that was released in the upper chamber could upregulate class two in the AML cells in the bottom chamber that did not get exposed to the DART. So even the cells that aren't directly being targeted and finally, we showed that a lot of these patients that relapse have very exhausted T cells. Right. So uh, the trial is to see if the dark works by itself, and if it doesn't work by itself, to infuse you know fresh, non-exhausted T cells to see if that makes a difference. And even though it looks good in preclinical models, you still have to test it in humans, and so that study is going to be open in the next month or two. That's fascinating. In the preclinical models, did the extra T cells help the, the DART engage better? Yeah. Well, the extra T cells could do it by itself. Interesting. In our, yeah. So the extra T cells in a mouse model, remember, so if we dump leukemia in a mouse and it grows in a mouse and we put in human T cells, we can upregulate class two mm -hmm. just because those donor T cells are not matched with the leukemia. And yeah. And so we didn't have, unfortunately, T cells from the same patient that the leukemia was from. But we know in a in vitro experiment, when we do that, when we have T cells from the same patient that has the leukemia, when there are T cells and AML cells together, 
and the AML cells have lost class two, and we put in the DART, we can see marked upregulation of class two and direct killing of the target cells. That's really interesting. I know you said you recently had presented this at ASH. What were some of the comments that you got? What were some of the reactions from your research? Um, I don't know. I got, you know, I, I think that one of the, the good questions were what's the mechanism of class two loss? That's a very good question. We don't know yet. What's the mechanism by which gamma induces class two re-expression? That's a good question. We're not absolutely sure. We think we know. There's a, there's a specific transcription factor that regulates the expression of all class two, which is silenced. Mm-hmm. And we don't know exactly what the mechanism of silencing is, but it has something to do with the promoter being methylated. And, and the third is uh, how long does the re-expression last for? Is it transient? Is it persistent? Which is also a really good question. Because AML cells, many of the samples that we have, you know, initially express class two all the time, you know, when they are in the growing in the patient. And when we give chemotherapy, they continue to express class two all the time. But then after allotransplant, they lose class two expression. But when we reinduce class two expression with gamma interferon, it is transient, it goes back to baseline in three to five days. So the question is, will, you know, that either giving gamma interference systemically or using this DART approach, this bispecific approach, will that really result in consistent re-expression of class two? And will that be enough? If it's just short-term, will that be enough to induce some immune recognition by the donor T cells? That's a really, I mean, those are great questions. And so when you start your, how long will your trial be for this research? Well, it's, it'll be a couple of years. It's 25 patients. So we have one competing study. So, you know, this two studies together may take three years to four years to complete unless we open them at other centers. Yeah. Well, hopefully you can get some of those questions answered in some of that initial well, what would happen, what would happen really um, is, um, Kate, if we found some encouraging results in the first patients, mm-hmm. then we would, we would consider opening it to other centers. And I think the company who is providing the drug would, we're, this is going to be our own IND. So we, it's our own idea and our own science. They're just providing the drug. It was a crazy idea. Actually, they thought it was nutty, but um, you know, the Preclinical work looks spectacular. Right. So, but it doesn't mean it will work in patients. So we have to, if it does look like it's working in patients, I guess the, then they'll expand it to other centers and we can get it done quicker. And then the other question that people asked that was a good question is because GBHD is there or in the background in all these patients, when you give a bispecific that induces gamma interferon release, won't you make GBHD worse? So that is a possibility. Um, so that's a risk that we'll have to look at because you know we have to give this in patients that are off immunosuppression. Right. And so uh, we could be dealing with a lot more GBHD or not because the way the thing works is that it targets a specific antigen. So that it's hard to predict whether there'll be just AML killing and GVHD or uh, just AML killing. Yeah. 
that was one of my questions actually was what, because these are kind of really new types of cellular therapies, targeted cellular therapies, what do we know about the toxicities of these different types of um, therapies? In AML in particular, or uh, most of the, almost all the studies have the same findings and that is low response rates and high rates of CRS. Mm. So it has to do with, again, the three things that I mentioned initially that the low response rates might be due to either the inherent immune suppressive environment of AML cells there, they create an immunosuppressive environment. So I don't know if that's true or not, but number two, the AML cells are myeloid. And we know from CRS experiments that we we're doing and a few other groups have published that those are the cells that actually make all the inflammatory cytokines. It's not the target, uh, you know, it's not when you throw in a car to a B cell antigen, it's not the B cell, it's not the malignant B cell that releases all these inflammatory cytokines. It's the innocent bystander monocytes that do this. So AML cells are myeloid cells and some of them have monocytic features. And so they can release that stuff directly. So that's a double whammy, right? So they not only bring in normal monocytes, but they themselves can make these cytokines. And so you release a lot more. So that's the CRS stuff. And, you know, again, the the lack of response might be the immune suppressive environment or the fact that the target you're going after is in a lot of other cells. And so you have to get past all these other cells to get you to your malignant target. And there may be just so many of them in so many different tissues in the lungs and the skin and the liver and everywhere that you can't get past those to get to the, the Holy Grail. Kind of shifting gears just a little bit is, is looking at the research that we've been able to do in the past 10 years on these different types of targeted cellular therapies and looking at some of the, what we know now versus what we, we didn't know when we kind of started out on these. In your perspective, what has been the biggest feat of understanding these type of therapies in a relatively short period of time? I would say that the... Um... I would say that the biggest challenge has been to, um, I don't know, there's a lot of challenges. We haven't figured it out yet. That's a problem. I mean, the, the biggest challenges have been to, I mean, the, the, the biggest challenges is to, to uh, number one, identify the best target antigen. Number two is to define, you know, the, uh, the it's called an SCFE, which actually targets the antigen. You know, what portion of the antigen is best to target Number three, to figure out how to actually target two antigens at the same time, which has not been possible, that would make it much more specific. And three is to how to control the immune, uh, you know, the inflammatory response to cell killing. In other words, how do you maintain killing without all this inflammation causing patients to suffer? And so I think that's fixable. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's approachable. And I don't, I'm not really confident will find good antigens. So there's one approach that, you know, you could, if there's no common target, you know, you could delete that target on stem cells Mm -hmm. and then do a transplant so that all the hematopoiesis of the recipient is normal, except it lacks that target. 
And then all the myeloid cells of the recipient are donor myeloid cells, which lack that antigen. You'd have to prove that loss of that antigen doesn't affect the bone marrow of the host, right? Right. And then, and then you could target that uh, antigen after transplant, and that would only see the malignant cells, which have that target. Right. That would eliminate a lot of the issues of the moat, but you still have to deal with these other two walls. The final thing is if we could immunologically target you know, there's two kinds of antigens in AML cells. One is they're called shared antigens that are differentially expressed in leukemia. So you go after them. That's what all these cars and bites are made to, like CD123 and CD33. These are shared antigens. They're just more expressed on AML. Mm-hmm. And so the interesting thing is that um, you could think about going after antigens that are infrequently expressed on AML as a way of starting to go after things. Like you could go after lymphoid antigens that are sometimes expressed in AML cells. Um, You'd get the lymphoid cells, but you'd also target the AML cells without going, you know, without having to deal with the inflammatory effects or the sink. So so there are some lymphoid antigens that are expressed on AML, you know, not, not all of them, but 25% 25% or so. And the question is whether that will be effective. Or um, if we could target neoantigens, which are the mutations, right? That we could target neoantigens or minor histocompatibility antigens. Minor histocompatibility antigens are tricky because the host expresses those as well. You have to find minors that are expressed just in the bone marrow cells, so you don't get a lot of off-target effects. That's going to be that's going to be difficult. I, I don't. I'm not optimistic that you know that's going to be easy to do. I think you could immunize a donor to these things, but I don't think you could safely go after them with a dart or um, or bite or a car. And then um, going after the neoantigens, which are the actual mutations. Problem is in AML, there are not many mutations across the genome. In coding genes, there's maybe anywhere from 10 to 30, very low numbers. Then you have, from that small number, you have to find the ones that are expressed. And from the few that are expressed, they have to bind to the patient's HLA. And so there are almost none of those. It's really, it's a daunting task. Now, if there were thousands of mutations, would be different. So, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like it's, you know, like you said, there's a lot of questions that still need to be answered, but if we can answer these, you know, this could possibly change the way we care for people that have AML and other types of diseases like it. Yeah. Yeah. I think we got a, we have a, Kate, we have a long way to go with AML and lots of smart people that are focusing on this. And I have the best idea. I have the two of the best ideas, but they're definitely not going to work. You know, I'm making a joke, but I have a couple of (laughs) ideas that would be, you know, seem very logical to me, but one of them is problematic because it would require what I was talking about 
knocking out a gene. And the gene that I would want to knock out probably is important for blood cell production. You, you know, need that. Be, you need that probably, yeah. And the other approach would be to target two antigens at the same time in which you could only get activation of a car or a bite working effectively when both antigens are engaged at the same time. And that hasn't been possible. I mean, no, the technical, the technically it's not been possible to do that. If you could do that, I think you could target then AML. Well, like you said, we, I think we've all got some good ideas. So it's all about finding the right evidence to support them. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You know, these are really new and exciting therapies, albeit challenging therapies, but you know, just the fact that I, I'm still in awe that when you look at kind of the history of BMT and cellular therapy and, and like, look, I'm sure the guys 50 years ago would have thought you were nuts talking about some of this stuff. They would have been like, you're crazy, you know? And, and even though we still don't really know all the answers, it's, um, well, you know, the, the other thing that's, of course, that's happening with AML is that a lot of these small molecules are, you know, making a dent, you know, venetoclax and things like this are helping a bit. So there's, a, there's been an improvement in the general care of these patients with oral therapies like venetoclax. And I assume other things like that will spring up over, over time. And so they're going to make the bar a little bit higher for immunotherapies, right? So if you get a, a bispecific that works 30% of the time, and that's what an oral therapy does, then people will use the oral therapy and avoid all the toxicity and all that stuff. Yeah. Now, what we haven't, you know, what people haven't done is they haven't tried to comp combine some of these therapies for AML with immunotherapy, immunologic therapies like CARs and BITES. So the question, and this was approached by just a couple of abstracts at ASH looking at what would be the impact of venetoclax on um, a couple of things. Number one, um, what impact does it have on um, T cell killing of targets? Number two, what impact would it have on, in a car setting of T cell expansion in vivo? And number three, um, what impact would it have on CRS? So if the venetoclax makes the cells more sensitive to killing, that's great. But if it inhibits T cell expansion uh, in vivo, then it's not going to work. Right. right. Or if it inhibits T cell function in addition to making the cells more sensitive, then it's not going to work. Right. If it makes CRS worse, uh, and everything else better, it's not going to work. So those things have to be, so these com combination therapies have to be explored. Uh, so maybe there's a drug that can really make um, bispecific therapies more, much more effective. So people are looking at that using things like checkpoint inhibitors. Mm -hmm. And so, so far I haven't been that impressed that there's a big difference. And we've been looking at things that block the CRS pathway. And we had an ASH abstract looking at that. And it we can show that in some, uh, with some drugs that we identified in our screen do reduce IL-6 production, but in patients it didn't seem to make a big difference. So it was a little disappointing. Yeah. 
So, you know, but you, you know, you want to, you have to find if something is going to benefit an immunotherapy, it has to enhance killing, reduce CRS and, in, and promote T cell trafficking. Yeah. And there may not be anything like that. There may be, may not be though. Well, thank you, Dr. DiPergio, for being on today. We very much appreciate it and we look forward to speaking with you again. Okay, Kate. Bye. Take care. Be safe. Thank you for listening to this episode of ASTCT Talks. Never miss an episode. Subscribe and provide reviews wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about ASTCT, find us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or visit ASTCT.org.